Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of AB Side Podcast. Hi, Ansi. You Hi. normally introduce yourself. Oh yes, I do introduce myself. Hi, Ben. Uh, Uh, and the world.、Um, today we are going to talk about something called life. We're continuing on with our new series at different stages of life. But now that we have discussed new life, the previous episode, we are talking about childhood. And that's right, children. Yeah, children.、Um, and if you are a parent, then、uh, you we know that that life has been different、uh, over the past six months. Because your children have been around you twenty four seven, so we will talk about some of that, and and we'll hear from our guests、uh, how they、um, have some insights into、uh, into children. Hopefully, cue the jingle music, man. Thanks. So we have two special guests. Ben, who is our first guest? That's right. Our first guest is Jade. Say hi, Jade. Hello, everyone. Woo woo, Jade. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about yourself?、Um, yeah, so I know you guys、uh, well from BCEC. So I came for university、uh, while studying for primary education. So training to be a teacher in Birmingham.、Um, I served at the church.、Uh, that's where I birthed as a worship leader.、Um, <laughs> and yeah, that, that's how we know each other. And where are you based now? I'm in Manchester now. Manchester moved, moved、yeah. back to can hear that accent, <laughs> nice and strong. And our other guest、um, that we've wonderfully invited is my lovely childhood friend Kai, who I've known since I was very young. Hey, Kai. Hi. <laughs> I've known you for a, the majority of my life. I think so. I think、um, I've known you since you were about two years old. Oh wow, <laughs> we go way back.、Wow. Um, Kai is、uh, a good friend of mine, and Kai, why don't you tell us more about where you're at now, and yeah, just a bit about who you are. So I am a full time homeschooling mum.、Um, I'm based in Bristol. My husband、um, recently. Got ordained as a curate.、Um, no, he got ordained as a deacon, and he's working as a curate, and、um, with the Church of England. So he is a vicar in training. I am a vicar to be's wife. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. And how do you, you have kids? We do. So、um, Mark and I got married twelve years ago now. Twelve、wow, um, years ago. Yeah. And we were living in Hong Kong at the time. We moved back four years ago,、um, and we had two children whilst we were still in Hong Kong, and we had one child here. So we have two daughters,、um, Kimberly and Annabelle. They're the eldest. Kimberly's seven. Annabelle's five. And Jamie, who was born here in Bristol, he's two years old. Okay. All right then, guys. We want to start with this question: How childish are you?、Um, so, Jade, how childish are you? So pretty childish. I mean, I think you have to be kind of childish to some extent to be a teacher, you know. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, definitely a primary school teacher. <laughs> Why do you have to be childish to be a teacher? I think you've got to just have that childlike heart, so you can just connect with them as well. I mean, if you're too serious, I don't feel like you could really connect as much as you want to. 
Yeah, I, I think you're pretty childish, Jade. Yeah, I think you are too. Well, although there, I've seen times where you are serious and we can have a proper grown-up conversation, but I've seen you giggle and like just be just, you know, childlike. And I love that about you. Oh, yeah. thank really you. Sweet. It's very sweet. Yeah, it's like a time for everything, isn't it? Sometimes you have to be grown up. Sometimes, if you can, why not? Like, I love silly Jade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I like you as well. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Kai, how about you? How childish are you? Well, um, I have to say, when you asked me this question, I found it quite difficult. So I think it might be mer- worth mentioning here the difference between childish and being childlike. Okay. I don't know if you've heard. So um, in, you know, kind of parenting, teaching um, type circles, childish commonly means immature and childlike usually means (laughs) trusting or innocent. Um, But of course, they are very similar concepts. Uh So um, I'm a child of immigrant Chinese parents and Uh my siblings and I had to look after ourselves quite a lot of the time. So, for example, from the age of nine, my mum started tasking me with the responsibility of cooking dinner for my older brother and sister whilst my parents were out at work. Wow. So I was not your typical spoiled youngest child. I was definitely more like Cinderella. And if my mum wanted some help, she wouldn't call for my brother or sister. She would call out, Gai! And I would have to go and help whilst my brother and sister continued to sit and watch TV. Wow. So... I also remember at school, I wrote my own sick notes for my absences. I also signed permission slips and report cards on my parents' behalf. Um, we also helped our parents go to the bank, doctors, estate agents, etc., to help them translate matters that were like way beyond my understanding. So in terms of being childish, I would say we had no choice but to mature quickly. And my childhood probably didn't allow for much childish behavior. Um, I probably tend to take life quite seriously, but... I would say that I do grasp opportunities to be childlike. Okay. Yeah. So like Jade, you know, I enjoy being silly with children um, and my family. It's fun to tickle and chase each other, play hide and seek, splash in the waves, dig for worms. You know, I love hearing children's squeals of laughter. And I like Mm. that children help me see the wonder that's found in the simple things in life. So not very childish, but um, hopefully, you know, a bit more childlike at times. It's like a trick question, that was. <laughs> that's, that's a really good answer. We should probably just end now. Right? <laughs> ben, are you quite childish? Um, what do you think? Um, not really. No, I don't think I'm very childish. <laughs> I've oh, seen... wait, no. I think I'm childish, but I'm not childlike. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Um, no, you're not that childlike. You're still quite teachery to your children. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, no, I think I think when I'm playing with my kids, I am. But that's not really the same thing. I think I can be childish um, when I'm with my sister, actually. We we just, yeah. What? Like to, I don't know, Just we're just silly in, in a way that I'm not really silly um, with other people. What, like sibling rivalry and banter and bickering? No, no, like in a nice way, not in a... Oh, okay. In a, yeah. Am I childish, guys? Do you, oh, sorry, childlike? <laughs> I would no. say so. Oh, okay. Okay, so Ben doesn't think so. Jade thinks so. Kai? Well, when you were two, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Had to be. I haven't, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't hung out with you recently, so um, I, I don't think I'll comment. Not in recent times. 
No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think I think I can be childlike. I definitely like when I'm talking to my nieces and nephews or um my godchildren, like I will speak down to their level and trying to be like childlike, which causes them to so for example, I'll make a comment like, Oh, why is that cartoon character sticking out his tongue? Like asking questions that might seem very redundant but i just want to see what i just want to have a conversation with the child um but it's annoying because sometimes some grown-ups actually think i'm genuinely asking that stupid question <laughs> and it always drives me crazy when they answer it's like anzi that person's doing that because xyz and so i'm just like oh i'm trying to speak to the child not the grown-up but yeah um i i do like to you know be more childlike when I'm addressing children. So as children educators that we've uh, invited onto our show, one is a homeschooler and one is a primary school teacher. How and why did you first get involved in um, being children educators? Actually, all three of you guys were educated, well, still are, um, still been trained in education. Let's ask Jade first. How and why did you first get involved? I think I've always had a love for teaching, regardless of what it is. It doesn't need to be a particular subject, but if I feel like I have enough knowledge in something, um, I actually like the delivery of things. So um, even as a young like, young child, I used to always like teaching other people things, pretend I had a whiteboard at home, you know, <laughs> and deliver it. So I think it's always been kind of innate in me, the teaching aspect. Um, and yeah, I think... By the time it was university time, I was like, actually, is it something I want to do for life? And I guess I said, yeah. <laughs> so before I was a mom, I was actually a primary school teacher too. Um, I, so I did a degree in law and after a couple of gap years, I did a PGCE and became a primary school teacher. So I taught for about 10 years, um, both here in the UK and in international schools in Hong Kong. And I loved it. I love being a classroom teacher. I worked really hard. Um, yeah, and just just did it to the best of my ability. Um, as to how I started getting into teaching, I thought I would mention that for my traditional Chinese parents, university was a must for educational success. They also had very strong opinions of what my siblings and I should study at university. So for my parents, it had to be medicine accounting or law and their in their opinion these subjects would lead to securing respectable respectable and high earning jobs well I didn't study medicine my sister did and became a doctor I didn't study accounting either my brother did and I chose law simply because it was the least boring of the three viable options I felt I had so um, I got a good law degree and tried to pursue further training in law but I felt like such a fake inside I couldn't convince myself that I wanted to be a lawyer, so my attempts to persuade law firms that I would be worth investing in failed miserably. And deep down, I knew that becoming a lawyer is not what I wanted to do with my life. Part of me knew that I wanted to do something that involved being with children. Being with children had always brought me joy. Um, I would say that I probably didn't, I didn't have a happy childhood myself. But perhaps it's because of that that I really wanted to make a difference and play a positive part in children's lives. So I explored the path of becoming a teacher, did a PGCE and became a primary school teacher. Yeah, so that's why I started getting into education and 
that's kind of just evolved now into kind of putting that down and investing in my own children um, as a home educator. How about you, Ben? I think for me, I mean, I've talked about this on previous episodes, but um, it was this idea that actually working uh, for myself wasn't really um, fulfilling or it didn't seem like what what God had in mind for um, for my life and for for just I guess um, yeah for how he wants us to to be living in the world so uh, for me getting into teaching was was motivated a lot by that by wanting to to do something that was helpful and beneficial um, and I guess originally it was more about like I want kids to be excited about something like I want to like Jade was saying the actual teaching the conveying of knowledge but I learned pretty quickly that that there's a, a much bigger role that teachers play in just helping children develop and grow and figure out life um aside from the subject you know so um and that's the thing that I miss the most actually now it's not it's not talking about physics but it's it's seeing a, a change in in the kids that I that I worked with yeah, a growth, like you, you've you seen them from start to finish type of thing. Yeah. Because, so I I used to teach um, about 10 years ago. I was teaching overseas, um, teaching English to children. But, um, but I really enjoyed it because seeing them from the start, from like the simple ABCs to having a full-blown conversation, um, that they were genuinely, you know, they, they learned a lot. And then I visited um, about five years ago now. And I, I remember meeting an old student that I had taught ABCs to. And we were having a full-blown conversation, like, and she was sharing about what she's doing. I'm going to go into nursing, blah, 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 blah. You know, she's 17 years old now type of thing. And wait, was that right? Maybe 15 or 16. Um, but I think it's really good to follow and and see how much they progressed and you forget that this child existed but they actually remember you as a teacher and to me the whole education system and you know teaching the next generation is something that is very dear to my heart and that's why I ended up being called you know to work with the next gen um but the teaching platform was a good foundation for me um to go further um, with investing in the next gen. So yeah, that was my journey. But in terms of you guys teaching in schools, do you think it was quite challenging or were there gems that you uncovered? In terms of challenges, um, I think the first challenge was um, my parents because <laughs> they weren't <laughs> happy with my change from being a potential lawyer to a primary school teacher. And so going against them was um, a pretty big challenge. Um, in terms of the like kind of like training to be a teacher itself um, the PGCE that was hard um, because I found that it challenged me um, in ways that required me to change um, so one of the things I remember that uh, that was really hard um, was that I realized I had such high expectations of myself so even though I was just starting out and very much learning I felt like that I should be an amazing teacher from day one so um, having very high standards I put a lot of pressure on myself and of course I failed to be that perfect teacher when I wanted to be 
um, but wasn't, and that was really hard. Um, so that made me realize that my upbringing had led me to expect way too much of myself. And it was a really humbling time. Um, it was, yeah, during the PGC that for the first time, I learned to allow myself to make mistakes. And instead of giving myself a hard time, um, which I guess I always had, I learned to reflect on the mistakes I, ma- the mistakes I made and just kind of had to keep trying again. Um, yeah, the next time. Um, the other kind of quite personal kind of challenge for me was realizing that I lacked the ability to give praise generously. So um, early on in my PGCE year, my mentor teacher gave me some feedback one time that really struck her nerve. So she told me that she noticed that the words I used to praise the children and their efforts and their work were very limited. And I think my words were limited to like, oh, that's good. Or, oh, yeah, you know, oh, well done. And, oh, good try. (laughs) And it was true. And as I reflected on why I had such a limited vocabulary for praise, I realized that I had received very little praise myself my whole life. And I had to work through that. And I couldn't give what I didn't have. Um, I also remember going away and looking up synonyms for good and excellent. (laughs) (laughs) For real. And writing a massive long list of words down, like marvelous, super brilliant. And then making a conscious effort to use them with the children. Um, Yeah, I felt really unnatural at first, but it didn't take too long before I was using them all the time. And you know, got to the point where sometimes I was using them too much and like, way too extravagantly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. No, this is this is really good um, because I guess yeah, your the way that you've had a childhood it actually impacts the way you view the world later. I think so, and view children yeah, definitely, too. definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, what about you, Jade? What challenges did you face? on your journey to becoming a teacher? Yeah, I'd say um, going into the kind of teaching profession um, because mine was a um, like a bachelor's primary education. So I, my, instead of a PGC, mine was kind of um, spread along three years. So I had three different placements within three years. Whereas I know PGC is very intense, isn't it? Within the year. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. So I feel yeah. you. I feel you. I, I don't know how you did it, really, because um, even for me, within the three years, it was just really, uh, really tricky in aspects of um, realizing that physically, it took a lot out of you. Um, the days of teaching and needing to be really active and re- like. Because when you speak, you want to be exciting for the children as well. So by the end of the day, I feel completely drained. And I think I realized that from the very beginning, like the first year of doing it. Um, And then when you go home, you've got extra planning to do again. (laughs) And the cycle was just on and on. And I think it physically really taxed, was really taxing. Um, And so I'd say that was one of the things that was quite tricky because I was thinking oh man can I do this can is it something I can keep doing for the rest of my life um and so yeah I'd say that was one of the big challenges like expecting like as in it what's the word it was more taxing than I thought it would be did you uncover any good stuff though like on your journey to becoming a teacher um 
Do you know what? Actually being in Birmingham, it gave me a new look on different cultures. In Manchester, I, I would say it's predominantly white. So for me, even growing up, um, that was kind of all the ethnicities I would grow up with. But when I came to Birmingham, I was just exposed to a lot more cultures. And do you know, it was so, so beautiful. Like the parents who, you know, were really appreciative of me, um, you know, would, would give me these like really interesting, like cultural gifts. And I was like, wow, like I wouldn't have ever um, known if I wasn't in Birmingham and <laughs> just the way they did life um, the way they, you know, were so excited just by, um, you know, like bringing a guitar into the classroom, they were like, wow. And like, honestly, like being in like a different city, like you just see different needs of children. And for me, it was an eye opener being in those other places. Yeah. What you were saying about it being like draining and um, you need to be active mm. is something that um, I was reminded of when lockdown started and we all started <laughs> having to homeschool our kids because I'm like, Oh, I, I've dealt with like inner city, like 14 year old girls and like, like, yeah, all, all range of emotions and attitudes. I can deal with my own kids. I can teach my own kids like phonics and like adding. Um, and it's really, um, yeah, it's really, really hard. Secondary secondary teaching is different from primary teaching, though. You, sh <laughs> you should know is. that. You should know it that. It definitely is. Um, but, it, yeah, the idea that you have to be active all the time, like, it's not something that you can kind of just do passively, mm. um, is one that I was like, whoa, okay. Like, you can't just do this half-heartedly. Um, so maybe we'll talk about that a bit later when we talk more about lockdown. Mm. Yeah, because I guess, yeah, so teaching, yeah, I, I noticed that taxing nature of teaching kids because you have to be energized for the kids mm. all the time because the kids have so much energy too. But I've got a question specifically aimed at Kai now. Um, so Kai, you shared that you used to be a primary school teacher and now you are a full-time homeschooling mother what made you decide you you and your husband what made both of you decide to homeschool your kids when you left hong kong wait were you homeschooling your kids in hong kong no we weren't okay um how long have you got <laughs> <laughs> this is a very big question <laughs> so there were lots of different reasons and a number of things that led us to the decision to home educate our children i'm going to use home educate because Homeschooling, I think, can be quite misleading. Homeschooling okay. tends to give this impression that we're doing school at home. And um, for some people who choose to kind of home educate, that's what they might do. But I think there are probably more people who kind of are doing education differently, which is why they're choosing to home educate, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm sold already. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I'm kind of give it, I'll give a little history um, of kind of my own school experience. So, um, uh, yeah, first, I just want to say that my own school experience was on the whole quite positive. Um, and as my parents were largely uneducated immigrants who spoke very little English and worked long hours, school gave me an education that my parents couldn't. At school, I excelled in the school system and I achieved pretty high grades in my GCSEs and A-levels. At university, I got a really good law degree. 
And, you know, after that, I got a PGCE and and I went on to become a primary school teacher, which is a job that I loved. So having been successfully educated in the school system and then worked as a primary school teacher, I was a massive proponent of the school system. Um, As for homeschooling, I didn't even know that it was an option. So I grew up in Cardiff in the 80s and 90s and everyone I knew went to school. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but I certainly didn't know anyone who was homeschooled. Like, yep. no one. <laughs> I, like, I didn't even know such a thing existed. And it wasn't until I was an adult working in Hong Kong that I first met a bo- boy from a Canadian family who was homeschooled. And the boy was clearly socially awkward and a bit slow and a little bit strange. And my husband and I concluded that homeschooling makes people weird. And we made a mental <laughs> note to never, ever, ever homeschool our future children. Um, okay. <laughs> well, that boy has since grown up to be a wonderful young man. And I've also since learned that that boy had once attended, attended school and had experienced some bullying there. And um, yeah, as my husband and I started to meet a few more families, who home educated their children, who were surprised to find that the children were really quite bright, engaging, and quite normal. And one family in Hong Kong, in particular, had access to one of the very best and highly sought-after private schools at no cost, yet they still chose to home educate their children. So this then, you know, kind of begged the obvious question to us, why? So um, I'll go on. So to begin with, um, in um, our kind of trying to find answers to that question, um, I did a lot of reading about homeschooling. I talked to the parents of home educating families too. And I also read like loads of articles and challenging TED talks about not just school, but kind of like education, what it is and learning what that is. Um, And yeah, and I learned that uh, school is not like education is doesn't equate school school is kind of like an avenue that you could take to kind of have an education so anyway, at that time for the first time in my life I also started asking deeper questions about the school system um, a system that I had thought quite highly of so there's a guy called Ken Robinson and also John Holt. Both of them are authors and educationists. And um, Ken Robinson's, uh, he's a kind of a speaker as well. And they've been really influential in our kind of journey to home educate. Um, so let me share some of the things that we found out in our kind of research, from our research. One of the first and most surprising discoveries that we made was that contrary to popular belief, school is actually not compulsory. And I didn't know, but it was actually a system that we opted into. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. So the law in Section 7 of the Education Act of 1996 states that the parent of every child of compulsory school age shall cause him to receive efficient full-time education either by regular attendance at school or otherwise. So parents don't actually have to request permission to home educate or notify anyone. Wow. 
Mm. <laughs> I, oh my gosh, this is wow! So yeah, this is amazing. Wow. It's been a while since I've taught like to somebody who didn't know too much about home education. So your reactions are quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, so another thing that I that we learned um, was that children in many Scandinavian countries like Finland and Sweden start school at seven and the compulsory school starting age in the UK at five years old and quite often they start at four is one of the lowest in the world our actual school starting age is really quite early and it's been so interesting to look into the research that exists and discover how little evidence there is for the positive outcomes of starting school at an early age and there's so much overwhelming evidence for starting formal schooling at a later age with no adverse effects to their so-called you know academic achievement wow so you and your husband decided to homeschool your own children yes by choice that's right i understand that there are lots of people that have so much more respect for the teachers now because of lockdown due to this lockdown in enforced homeschooling yes so now i'm gonna ask ben <laughs> yeah so this is really interesting this um, is so yeah. interesting because homeschooling was all sorry home educating was was something that i had always not always well since i've had kids had thought of as like oh that would be amazing if we could do that you know if we had the resources <laughs> if we, one of us could stop working it would be great mm. um and, and then We've had however many months of um, of enforced home education, mm. <laughs> um, and it turned out completely differently from how I expected it to. But you've not prepared for it, right? Like mm. lockdown happened so fast that all the parents were scrambling for resources. Right. So, so let, let me tell you what I did in um, in March, and, and Jade and Kai, you can can say whether or not this was a good idea. And so in <laughs> In March, I'm sure it was brilliant. Out, I'm sure it was a brilliant <laughs> idea. Whatever you did, <laughs> we um we found out the lockdown was happening, right? And uh, and so we immediately went out and bought loads of like arts and crafts materials. We created like a an arts and crafts section in our kitchen, um, and then I also uh just like found all the educational websites, um, and they all had like free trials for for the lockdown period and so like at the start i was like printing off worksheets and i was like right sophie we're gonna do um like three pages of this booklet on phonics and then we're gonna do like this maths website um we're gonna do a day a day of stuff on that um and then we're after lunch we're always gonna do something crafty like i tried to structure the day out um as if it was like school mm. uh, and that lasted for maybe 10 days <laughs> uh, and then everything just went out the window and it was just yeah like we just get up whenever and just be like what are we doing today oh i guess maybe maybe read me a book like and that that's as far as it went really mm. why, why why what happened to that whole schedule so i think i think part of the problem um was like she just wasn't interested in doing those mm. things or she didn't want to do those things she didn't want to be told to do those things i think um and so it was hard to get the motivation. And obviously without motivation, there's no point in doing it, is there? Because forcing them to do it is mm. not going to, is not, a, yeah, it's not a positive thing. It's not productive. How about the first day when you did that with her? Was she engaged then? 
yeah, yeah, she was. So it just decreased over the days. Yeah, and I don't think it was like um, there weren't like two repetitive tasks or anything like that. Um, I think she just wasn't like like kind of like well, why do I need to learn how to do like subtraction or why do I need to know how to do this? And it's kind of yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about how much how much they do in school, how much um, like writing and reading and stuff they do versus at home. That's not as much a priority because maybe reading is, but like writing is not a big priority in the home, is it? Because you don't need to write stuff down to communicate when you're with your family. Mm. Um, so yeah, so I can understand why she felt like that. Um, but it was also, yeah, just like we had a good, a good maybe couple of weeks um, well, we tried to do like science experiments and stuff as well. Um, you built then, a rocket, didn't you, at one point? Oh, that, that bottle rocket is amazing. <laughs> For your benefit. I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, anyone that wants to build build it. It's so good. Um, yeah, but it, it kind of just fell apart. Uh, and now reflecting back on it, I'm like, oh, I see the benefits of homeschooling, but I don't know if I have what it takes to do it. So, Ben, I would actually say that you did very well because you did not force your child to do something they didn't want to do and that you um you just kind of let things be a bit more natural mm. you know like i think initially like your your you, your two weeks kind of sums up my whole like two two plus years of home education okay so initially when when we started homeschooling you know i'm a trained school teacher when we kind of decided to home educate I was like, okay, well, I don't know what to do. Um, there's all these different approaches out there. Um, the only thing I knew was to kind of sit down and kind of teach in the way that we teach, right? Um, phonics and maths, and it didn't fly. And mm. I, I, I basically just had to quickly learn that school is, is just so different. Um, the type of, the kind of learning that's expected at school is it's done in a school environment. So that by the very nature of it, it's just very different. Whereas at home, um, learning is can be just so much more natural. So it doesn't have to be, um, you know, sit down and this is what we're learning today and this is what we're learning today. It can be simply we're doing life and as we do life, we actually are learning so many skills along the way. Um, hmm. And some. So I, I mean, I guess I would just say that you didn't fail miserably at all. <laughs> um, yeah, like, like whatever your, I don't know, whatever people's kind of perceptions of home education or homeschooling is, like if you think that we kind of sit at home with our children at a desk and, um, you know, like have these wonderful lessons and, you know, they're all really engaged. Um, maybe some people do it like that, but I think a lot of people don't. It's a much more kind of, we're out and about, we're doing life, we're meeting people where, you know, we engage in different activities. And just by doing that, they pick up all these skills like reading and like maths very naturally. Yeah. Thanks. So, Kai, you mentioned that obviously when you're in a school environment, it's, it's a completely different environment yeah. than home. So... I guess Absolutely. that makes it easier for a child to learn at school because it's they're in the zone. 
they're, they know that they're in the classroom. Now it's class time. We are doing X, Y, Z. It is not break time. It's not play time. It's not wet play with the recent weather that we've had. Um, like, so would you recommend that people actually have a set room in their home that's labeled as the classroom for times where you have to sit down your child? Or would you say the whole house is the classroom? So um, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's different. Like it depends what we're talking about. If we're talking about children now who have been in a school environment, suddenly are under lockdown and they have to kind of transfer then to doing it at home. Um, In that kind of situation, if parents feel like they need to continue with school the way that school is done at home, then perhaps it would be beneficial to try and continue having a classroom or something. But when it comes to home education by choice, um, I would say not only it's we have no set room and I wouldn't even say, you know, we do learning all the time in all the rooms, but also in the whole world. The world mm. is our classroom. You know, actually, the amount of time that we spend at home, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's hardly at all. Um, generally, we're out and about quite a lot. We're kind of at gymnastics, we're at ballet, we're um, having home education meetup groups, um, children are engaging together, all our children are engaging with other people. Um, we might be going to museums, going to, I don't know, the wetland center, to the zoo. It's all, do you know what I mean? The learning that I guess we do is just, I guess, much more natural. It's a natural acquisition of skills. Um, it's, it's not kind of sitting down to have to learn certain things because children, they're natural learners. And actually as adults, we're natural learners too. We want to learn. Um, but it's finding the things that children want to engage in, they're excited about and they're learning about. Um, yeah, does that does that make sense? That does. Yeah. That's. I mm. think. I think I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ansi, you can hand to the mic. No mixing of households. Sorry, can I? Can I mention a couple of examples of kind of like how I've seen this happen? Because obviously for me as a teacher as well, you know, I've in the back of my mind, I've been like, oh, they're behind their peers. I know exactly what, you know, a year one child is doing at school and my year one age child at home is not doing those things. Right. Um, so Kimberly is seven. And initially when we started, like at five, I tried to teach her phonics and it was it, it just didn't work. She wasn't interested. She kind of, she was like looking around, rolling her eyes, you know, like just distracted. And so I kind of left it and, you know, I did my research. I talked to a lot of people, you know, I did all the reading and all that. And, you know, what I learned was that children will read when they're ready. And I had a friend who has a three-year-old, who has three-year-old twins. And um, one of them suddenly started reading at three years old. Fluently, no joke. And no one had taught him, but he had clearly been ready at three. Okay, that's quite an extreme example. And anyway, so for me, I was like, okay, so I've learned, 
and I know, and it's happened for so many children that children will read, can learn to read, and they will learn to read, not necessarily through having to learn phonics. For myself, if I look back to my schooling, I never learned phonics. I learned to read. I talked to my peers who are my age. When they went to school, they didn't learn phonics. They learned to read. So anyway, I was like, okay, let's kind of see how this goes with Kimberly. And it's a bit of an experiment, but I'm trusting that when she's ready, she'll learn to read. And so it's actually in recent, maybe in the recent half a year that she has taught herself to read. I have not done any phonics with her. I have not done any reading with her apart from reading aloud books that she loves. Um, and she can read. That's great. And I haven't had mm. to teach her phonics. That's really cool. I was just thinking, you know, how you were talking about school is like just this one avenue of, of learning. Mm. Um, and perhaps things like phonics are like, if we try and implement them outside of the classroom, it doesn't work as well because the paradigm is that you've got this group of 30 kids and they're all at different levels and you need a way yes. of, um, of doing it corporately. But yeah. actually when you're working one-on-one, -on -one, there's no need to follow the, yeah that, that particular regimen, I guess, yeah because it's not designed for, for use that way. Yeah. And I think the idea of like the three R's at school and the whole read, the whole emphasis on reading and writing is really to, I mean, I think the focus is so that everybody taken in all demographics can be at the, you know, can be given a fair chance. Right. So for those people who may not have, who may have low literacy levels at home, right, they can access it. And phonics is a way to teach them it but it's a very systematic way and the question is does it have to be so systematic you know at such an early age mm. yeah and it's interesting because when you do teach phonics like ben was saying you can't necessarily apply it to everything mm. because um even in phonics there's something called tricky words and they're called mm. tricky words because it doesn't follow a pattern. You've just got to mm -hmm. learn them because that's how they're spelt. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's been amazing. Like I like it like I say, it's been a bit of an experiment. <laughs> but it's been absolutely amazing just seeing Kimberly. Like now she can read like quite well. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. And that really is amazing. I haven't done a thing. Well, look. I could okay. I won't say I haven't done a thing, but as in like I haven't taught her mm. in the traditional sense of teaching. Yeah. Okay. So shall we move away from education? Um, I'm interested, uh, Jade. You've had like one half term uh, back with kids who have been away from school for like six months. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm interested not not in how bad their their academic ability is, but like, have you noticed any change in in them in like in, in a general way, or is that have they has anything surprised you about um, what you saw when when they came back to school? Do you know? I'd say it's really really positive. Um, the children are just so so resilient. Um, they've come back. They've had to adjust with things like virtual assemblies and, you know, they're not the most exciting most of the time um, uh, with 
so what I'm actually teaching in year two this year, which is my first year in um, such a younger class. Um, but this year they actually have to sit in table rows and they're all facing the front. So you don't have like the, the carpet time and go back into group tables. Like they've had to grow up really quickly. Um, and do you know what? They just, they just get through the day. Um, playtime, you know, they're just, they're not, they're not socially distanced. Let's be honest. <laughs> they're just, you know, just running around, still being who they are. Um, adapting to having lunch in their in their classrooms um so yeah I'd just say one word so resilient um and yeah I'd say they've been really positive oh cool yeah that's that's cool Jade um do you think uh they've they've learned anything different about about having to sort of almost fend for themselves or for families to have to fend for themselves um, rather than having the kids kind of in, in school following the, the rules, um, all the time. Do you think they've kind of developed, um, more, more freedom maybe, or more independence, or is that not something that you've seen? Do you mean like within the classroom? Yeah. Um, just generally, I guess, not just with their own learning. You asking about behavior. So yeah. are you asking about, <laughs> so are you asking about, what about? Sorry, can you reword the question? I don't, I don't understand you either, Ben. <laughs> Sorry, I was just trying to segue into that first question of, in that independent topic. Um, like, ha- have they have they developed any like surprising? Have they have they figured stuff out? I guess I guess like Kai, you were saying, like if you leave a child alone, they can maybe teach themselves to read. Um, it have have you seen like? more independence in the kids i i would say it really depends on um how their home learning went at home i think there were some parents who were really proactive with um you know like you were doing ben just putting up those websites and doing having like a routine at home but um i think it really depends on the area of your school as well but mine is probably a more deprived area and um you know, the children completing their work out of 30, there were probably four or five who would email in work. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't say particularly, you know, that they've been more independent or anything. It really depends on the parents. Hey ben, I think. Should we ask you that question? No. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting. I, I mean, do you know what? It's, it's hard to it's tell. It's your children. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's true for my children, but I don't know if that's due to the lockdown or not, because I feel like, like I was looking at photos from, from February and, and, um, and March and just looking at like, whoa, my kids have grown up so much in, in this time, like, because it just feels like every day is the same. Um, and thinking about how their behavior has changed as well. I don't think it's all down to just being in the household or being with our family all the time. Um, it's yeah. just like going, Sophie going from a four-year-old to a five-year-old and Isaac going from one to two. Um, that's like a big chunk of their life that they've, that they've spent um, over that time as, as I've been reflecting about it. Um, so yeah, I don't know if it's specifically due to lockdown or not. Yeah. Um but I have I have noticed, yeah, more, um, yeah, independence. I think uh, mm. definitely from 
from Sophie, who's mm. older. Mm. No, I was going to say, it's a, really, it's a really interesting question if we're talking about independence and freedom in a, in a child, because, um, you know, having worked in a school and, you know, you're, you're there, by the nature of school, it would seem that independence and freedom for children are quite limited at school. Do you know what I mean? Um, whereas in a, you know, in a home environment or, you know, if it was, if school was done maybe kind of differently, um, there, there's space for children to have more independence and freedom. Yeah, they have more free reign over how fast they can learn or how, how much they can learn. Um, yeah. But I guess it, it depends on the parents' abilities as well though right just what Kaya was saying how because she's in a deprived area not all mm. the parents were able yeah. to hand yeah. in their kids yeah. work um nor are some parents yeah some parents were still working some parents were busy and so I guess it's case by case because obviously home education sounds amazing can I just say um homeschooling like it does sound tricky enforced lockdown homeschooling but I guess it isn't for everybody. Not mm. everybody has the patience to teach their own children. Not every parent has a good relationship with their child as well. Mm. And this is where I'm like, like, you know, you see so many memes during lockdown, like how parents are so thankful to the teachers educating their child in a school, in a, in a strict type setting. Um, but I guess... So for Jade, it's interesting that you should say, you know, the kids are very resilient since they've come back. But has it meant that you've had to put in more time to invest in the children that didn't have much of, you know, that education system at home during lockdown? Do you know what I mean? Just to bring them up to speed? Yeah. So that's been one of the tricky things for teachers. Um in mainstream schools so um now that I'm teaching in year two my first autumn I had to catch them up on what they should have been learning in year one um so catching up on that summer kind of curriculum um revisiting things and also um not only just that but actually going back to what Ben was saying actually teaching is more than just the knowledge part and um it was actually a lot about explaining what coronavirus was, why we had to hand sanitize our hands so much and um, actually giving them a space to recognize their feelings and actually that their emotions are valid for, you know, being worried and um, being anxious about particular things, but um, ensuring that, you know, kind of what's the word? Um, just kind of giving them the reassurance that, you know, if they are in school, the teachers and head teacher are doing all that they can to make sure that they are safe mm. um, and giving them that kind of reassurance. That gives me so much goosebumps because it's like you are very much part of their life and here you are teaching them about just the world and yeah, it's it's just it's just crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, it's 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 sad that the kids are having to learn about such grown-up topics but then at the same time I know that this has become our life now hasn't it yeah yeah absolutely there's some children who just say the word pandemic now and again oh <laughs> <laughs>
have you noticed any behavioral problems then? I would say, because I'm a new teacher for them, um, that they're generally more well-behaved when it's a new teacher and a new start of a new year. So um, because I'd say there's more structure when you're in a classroom. So I would say behavior's actually been pretty good the first term, actually. Um, But we'll see after autumn, too. And I guess they're following following their peers as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Following the, what do you call it, um, crowd psychology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on the whole, they've been pretty good. How, how how do parents manage the kids' behaviours then? Uh, very, there's a wide range. Um, some of them just go for the shouting straight away. Some of them will be positive kind of reinforcement. Some of them will be not caring at all. So you've got, you know, again, I think it's down to my area again that I'm teaching in, but there is a large, large, vast differences. How about the two parents on this show? <laughs> what are you asking? How we discipline our children? Um, maybe. Do you do you want? Well, but in terms of managing your children's behaviour during this season, especially, is it any different? I mean, I I guess I don't think it is different because because but... they've got cabin fever, surely, right? Yeah, and but what of... I was going to say is, like, every, in, in the sense that, like, every interaction with your child has the potential to be different because there's a million different reasons why they're displaying certain behavior, right? So, like, mm. just because they did something yesterday, it doesn't mean that because they're doing it today, it's, it has the same motives behind it necessarily. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I always like to try and... Like, I like to think I'm trying to understand what's going on behind the scenes rather than just focusing on the behavior. Um, but it, it's, yeah, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult to to do that in a way that, like, you know, maybe if you're thinking about it, if you're thinking about that interaction, like, a week later or something when there's less emotions attached to it, like, did it did it turn out in a positive way? Is it is it going to help them navigate um whatever situations in the future or has it just kind of made it worse or have you just taught them oh you you know like we don't don't do that again don't don't express your emotions or whatever like because that's that's how Mm. it could go if you if you deal with it in the wrong way maybe so we're this episode is coming out at the start of december happy happy advent everyone um but we're actually recording it on halloween so (laughs) Um, my, my daughter's been, been, uh, reminding me that like every time she sees a pumpkin or something, oh, we're Christians, daddy, we don't celebrate Halloween, but it's okay to look at a pumpkin or it's okay that there's a skeleton in that window. Um, and you know, like it's, I think as a Christian, it's really hard to figure out how much of the world you show to your kids. Um, especially when they're like in a school for example and they get sent home with like oh halloween sweets and i'm like oh i'm not going to take sweets off you just because they've got like a spider on them like and so it's yeah there's this like tension of how 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 do we decide how much we expose our kids to 
the world or to worldviews that are different from what we have as Christians? Well, in the schools at the moment, um, we actually had some training as teachers to say that, um, for example, um, have you heard of PSHE? Yes. Yes. For the listeners, for those that don't know. It's, well, the abbreviation is, I think it's physical, social, um, I think H is health. Just trying to think of C. Citizenship. Yeah, citizenship education. So it's quite a long one. But basically, it, it just incorporates every part of life, basically, and anything that's going on and emotions and well-being, that kind of thing. Um, and I believe there's like a new kind of curriculum for it now um, that people need. I think it's called RSE, which is Relationships and Sex Education. Um, which is now compulsory in every school. Um, and I do know that actually because it's compulsory now, I think it's um, every school has to do it before this summer coming, so 2021 this summer. Um, all schools need to now be able to talk about things like same-sex marriage and things like that. So we actually um, have are, are being given books where books will be um, – about same-sex marriage so instead of a prince meeting a princess it could be a prince and a prince or a princess and a princess um and these are the things that you know are now compulsory which is crazy because you know i I don't know i knew i kind of knew it was coming at, at some point but it's actually here now in reality um and so because of that you know when i heard the news in september i that was where i struggled being a Christian and being a teacher who needs to speak about these things. Um, it's like, well, how, how do you do this? Well, how do you like wisdom really needs to come into this yeah. um, to know how to, you know, is, is it like you don't talk about it at all because your faith is this, or do you have to follow guidelines because it is compulsory? And so, you know, I don't feel like I have an answer yet. I still, you know, I've not needed to teach anything about it yet. So maybe that's why I have not really thought about it. But actually, when the time comes, I do really need to, you know, really pray, really pray and be wise with how these kind of topics that need to be spoken about. But, you know, like Ben was saying, like, these are really real things. And how much do you expose children to these things? Um because I can also see the side that it can't, it's not healthy if they don't know about these things as well. Um, but the, do parents not have a chance to, like, not consent to it? So I remember in, what, year five, year six, when mm-hmm. um, the kids are exposed to sex education, the parents have an opportunity to, you know, just not consent to your child being taught this. Yeah, I, I think there is... Um, yeah, I think that's still possible and you can do that. Um, but I guess from my side, it's mm. as, as a teacher, yeah. I can't just do that, you know. Um, so, yeah. It's hard. Okay. It's hard on the tr- teachers, I guess. Yeah. Mm. I remember, like, w- as science teachers, we, we were always given the um, PSHE sex education, um, like, role to, to deliver. And um, there's a Christian girl in, in my class um and her parents had called up 
and like this was before I taught anything it wasn't like to do with my teaching but um and said no we don't want her to to be involved in this and I was talking to to like my head of department and and I was saying well actually can like do they know that I'm a Christian like because will that make them feel more comfortable because I'll be dealing with it um and they they were just not interested they were like nope she cannot hear about this and I thought that was really sad because I had the opportunity to talk to these teenagers about sex in a way that that not not that I'm going to say this is the only way to to approach the topic. It's countercultural. But yeah, open their eyes to yeah. you know like oh you know some people wait until they get married um, and like that's a genuine shock to a lot of the kids that I taught. They were like, what? Why would you do that? Um, and to have to, because I was like, well, this opens up lots of different doors. Like, mm. like we can actually talk about it in a way that's like, I have the privilege of educating you about this and I'm not going to, I'm not going to force my beliefs on you, but also I'm, I'm going to not just teach you like what the world tells you is okay. Mm. I'm going to talk about it in a more holistic way. So I thought it was a real shame that she wasn't allowed to participate in that because like especially as teenagers they're going to hear about it anyway and so you mm. you would rather have someone um explaining it maybe in a yeah you know what teenagers are like you don't want to hear things from other teenagers then what they're talking about about anything yeah, one <laughs> word from another person right. they're going to be like okay i don't know what this means so i'm going to google <laughs> yeah. it yeah exactly <laughs> kai do you have any um thoughts on this oh it's a big one too um <laughs> I think that definitely exposure to these things, um, they're good. They have, like our children have to be exposed to other faiths, other beliefs, other worldviews, right? That might be different to our own. I guess um, I would want our children, like as in personally my children, to hear it from us first where possible to be able to navigate and have a, I suppose, uh, a narrative from us and from what we believe um, God says about those things um, first um, and be able to have a conversation about how that fits into what else there is in the world. Um, I think it's like in terms of school, it's it's great that there is an education about those things. I think my concern would be, you know, what is it that's being taught? Who is it that sets this curriculum of what will be taught to the children? Um, it, you know, everything has, everything comes from a certain value base. Um, it's not without bias. And, you know, whatever that curriculum now contains, which I don't know, um, has been set by like some group of people who I don't know and I don't know what they believe. And not only that, like it's probably set by some random group of people, whatever the qualifications are, I don't know. Um, but also it's very teacher dependent as well. How a teacher delivers such a curriculum can also affect how a child then takes that on board and how they can critically um kind of just weigh up what it is that they're hearing from a teacher. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully within a school, 
children are encouraged to critically kind of think about what they're presented with and not just take it as. Yeah, that's the key. I, I agree with that. I do think there needs to be time to critically think about these things. However, unfortunately, I don't think necessarily, you know, it is, I, I don't think necessarily that's what schools provide and give that space for, which is mm. sad, really. And I think that's, that's such a key thing, like talking about discussions, whatever it is that we are exposed to, be it good, be it not so good, that there's a conversation and that there's a discourse then for how that fits into life and what we, yeah, what we believe in, how we will want to go about doing life. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think that leads into answering this question. I've got so many thoughts about this question, so I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut um, for a while. But um, this idea of like, what about if you send your kids into school or into into a like into their group of friends um, with this idea of like this being their mission field? What do you guys think about that? Because I've got lots of thoughts. Oh, I have an amazing story about a child that I taught. Um, in my previous school, which was a Christian school. Um, so um, this school was Christian, but not necessarily everyone was. I'd say maybe 40% were. Um, and As in their parents, their parents go to school, um, to church and they go to Sunday school and... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because the school is also linked to the local church as well. Um, so I'd hear about them going to Sunday school and things like that. Um, one of the children I'll remember for the rest of my life, he was an overt Christian <laughs> and um, he was in, um, yeah, he was in year four. So around eight to nine. And even at that age, he would openly say, you know, um, oh, I love Jesus. And uh, we used to have this first aid area. So if you hurt yourself on the playground, um, children would come in and uh, there was one child who got hurt and it just it just just so happened that this boy that I was talking about um, was on the corridor and he said shall I pray for you because Jesus can heal you wow. oh that's so cute <laughs> I know and he and you know he and then he actually sat with him and prayed with him wow. oh, it's so incredible um, and and uh, another thing that he also said to me once um, within the year that I was teaching him, he goes, oh, oh Miss Ng, um, is there any chance that I can make like a prayer corner in our classroom? So like oh. anyone who needs prayer, I can uh, come, like they can come and pray with me. And I was like, I was like, yes, of course you can do that. It, no, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> My God, it's just yeah. melting. Yeah. And like, you know, these things are happening. I mean, this is like one child from one of the classes that I've taught. And so I wonder how many more children are doing that across the UK and, um, and being so overt about their love for Jesus, which is amazing. Um, and just to put it out there, he loved VeggieTales as well. <laughs> <laughs> of course. What else would he be watching? <laughs> I guess it comes down to the parents. Um, yeah, how, how much the child is exposed to, you know, 
evangelism or praying for healing for others um, and it comes down to how they've been trained at home right so proverbs mm. 22 6 says train up a child in the way that he or she should go even when she or he is old they will not depart from it so i think i really like that verse because you know if you train a child correctly they they will know but sending your your child to school with the intention of them being like sent out into the mission field Ben, why do you have so many thoughts about this? Well, Kai, do you have anything to say before I, I start my... Ben-splaining. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm interested to hear your yeah, okay. your thoughts about um, this. Well, so it, I remember talking to uh, my friend about this um, years ago. Uh, and he said, well, you know, like if you think of it like a spiritual battle, like there's this there's this spiritual battle for souls going on, and um, and if you think of us as as being the the soldiers, the warriors that are that are out there, um, and we have this this role that we're told to do to go into the world and to make disciples, does it make sense to be put to to put a child like on the front line there? Ooh, like does it is it is it right to put someone out there who hasn't, um, however much they love Jesus and however much they, um, they might know about him, maybe they haven't fully wrestled with their faith in the same way that, that a mature Christian has. Maybe they haven't, um, maybe they don't know what it's like to, to rely on God in the really difficult times or, um, or maybe they do, I don't know, but, um, just that idea of like, is it, is it a bit kind of, are we, I mean, what, 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 what Jade was, was sharing was, was great and awesome because that was just happening kind of naturally. Right. So it's not, I'm not speaking against that, but it's, it's more like if you're preparing your child and you're saying, right, when you go to school, your job is to, um, like the reason you're going to school is, is to do this. Um, maybe feels a bit um, like how much can we prepare them when they're still only a child? Does that make sense? You're placing a lot of expectation and responsibility on them. Yeah. And that's not to say like, oh, don't share your faith. Of course you want them to share their faith. Of course you want them to be able to talk about Jesus and about the gospel. Um, but But really maybe more like you school you go to school so that you're so that you can learn about the world um so if you're not doing that it makes me think is it gonna is it gonna be effective i guess is it gonna work for you and is it gonna build up your own faith your as a child is it gonna build up your child's faith or is it gonna um potentially uh damage it when someone turns around and asks a question that, that they're unprepared for that's really deep, Ben. <laughs> I told you I had thoughts. <laughs> so, Ben, are you saying that what this person had said to you is, um, are you in agreement with them or are you kind of very not in agreement with them? I think I agree that, okay. um, yeah, that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be doing that deliberately. Mm-hmm. And when I say doing that, I mean like, sending them into like this is your mission field kind of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
we should definitely be telling people to to talk about Jesus. That's we should definitely be doing that. Mm-hmm. I think you know, like and so you mentioned Proverbs, you know, chain up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he would not depart from it. And that, in terms of kind of the burden, kind of seems, from that verse, seems to be on the parent and not the child. Um, you said it's a bit brutal to kind of like put them out there and expect them to kind of do it. I think it is because they need to be equipped. We need to be equipped, right, to be able to, um, do whatever it is that we are called to do. It doesn't just happen. And I guess that equipping and that teaching and that training is, I would say, is part of what schools should be doing um, or what, if, if not at school, parents, you know, that, that's our job. And just by teaching them well, in the ways of the Lord, just by living by example and living to love God and love others in their every day, that in itself would be they're out there and they're doing it just by being who they are. Yeah, I guess, I guess if it's a, if you think about it like a process, like rather than like a, you know, like you have now graduated from military school and now you can go and, and fight as a soldier. Um, if it's a process, it makes more sense, doesn't it? Yeah, because right. um, I remember when I was in, I don't know, maybe year, year four, year five, um, talking to my one of my best friends about um, my faith. And he was, uh, I guess his parents were um, quite strong atheists. Mm. And so he was all like, oh, yeah, this is a load of rubbish. Why do you believe in God? And I remember having this, like, disagreement mm-hmm. or argument um with him about it and and still being adamant that like his questions and his his um his points were not really um damaging what i believed i wanted to know how to answer mm. those questions better but they they didn't like they didn't make me doubt um so maybe it is a good thing but as long as as long as we have the opportunity to think it through and and hopefully talk it through with our with our parents and with people in our church um so when we do run up against thing challenges that we can't handle uh we actually have someone there that's gonna help support us with it because in my head there is a lot of expectation that you place on a child to be like you need to you need to share the gospel because then i feel like so what Kai was sharing earlier about um, the lack of having a childhood growing up, I think there can be a possible danger of placing too much responsibility on the child to be sent into the mission field, like it, amongst their school friends. That doesn't give them a chance to be a child and to, mm. it's like, you have to save souls. You're not allowed to play. You're not allowed to be childlike but at the same time i also know that there is a responsibility placed on the parents to raise their child in the faith and again not all the children will have the same faith right mm. if you if you think about it um because because i i work with a lot of teenagers and i can see that 
they don't necessarily believe what their parents believe and they're still exploring it. But that's as a teenager. But as for children, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the spiritual elements should be within, you know, being taught by their parents. But many times the parents also don't have much of a faith as well. So this this does come down to the individual um, raising their child. But at the same time, I can see it on the other side where if the parents are bold and, you know, are very faithful and they're training their children in the right way, their kids will also have a similar boldness as well. So that's why I was really encouraged to hear Jade share about that story about that kid wanting to set up a prayer corner. How cute. Um, (laughs) And I think he sees that he has seen that at home and he has seen the power of prayer at home. Mm. Um, But unfortunately not all families are like that, which is sad. And again, that's, that's part of our responsibility as fellow brothers and sisters to encourage our, you know, the families in the church. Now, I was just going to say, um, I kind of, in response to that, first of all, um, I'm not, maybe I'm not sure that children that I know are, um, feel like they have to, or are told to share the gospel Ah. with others. Mm. Um, so that might be your experience, but that's not something that, um, you know, that I see. Um, um, so, you know, Jade's example was amazing, you know, that there's this boy who, you know, who expressed his faith in that way. And that was particular to their family. I would also say that obviously everybody is different and not everyone is going to express their faith, um, in that way. And our call to share the gospel isn't necessarily through words you know actions do speak louder than words you know without and Mm. um you know if a family are simply you know the first two commandments love god love others if they are living that if they're doing that that is i you know i think in many ways that is sharing the gospel because people will see in their lives that it's different and from there will flow, you know, possible conversations about what it is that their faith is. Yeah, I echo that. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree with that. I feel like it's like um, once you know God and and once you know, you know how he how he wants you to love others, I feel as though like it, it should be like a natural overflow that comes into your life through your actions. Like exactly what you're saying, Kai. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about actually that same that same student um, that I was talking about earlier. Uh, when I was teaching about the Big Bang and evolution, and like this is what's on the syllabus, like we have to teach it. Whatever you think about that as a Christian, um, and she was just so like argumentative about it the whole time, and I wanted to just be like, "Look, we're on the same side. Like, <laughs> let's let's work together to like." Like, I'm going to talk about God when I talk about the Big Bang every single time. You don't need to be like, oh, well, Christians don't believe in it. And my parents like, like, and to me that that's like the wrong way to do it. Right. Like setting it up like we are, um, I mean, in one sense, we are definitely, we are here against the world and what the world believes and how the world behaves is, is completely counter to, to what we believe and what we should be teaching our kids. 
But on the other hand, that's that's like a set of ideas. That's not people. Um, and I think if, if you come in, especially if you come into it like as a child and you set yourself up as as kind of, well, this is um, this is I'm going to tell you why you're wrong about this. Uh, it, that's mm. not that's never going to work, is it? You're not going to mm. bring people in and you need to show people rather than um, rather than. Yeah give all this like oh well yeah well if you believe that the that the universe is millions of years old then that that means that you are, can't be like yeah you know what i mean um mm. yeah and i i feel like that's that's i guess the the difference you either you either do it through your actions and it's a natural thing um like this like this mm. boy um or you do it because you're told to do it. And if you do it because you're mm. told to do it, it's probably not going to have a um, mm. a good outcome. Mm. But I do think it is good to expose um, your child to other teachings. Um, but I do know that it fundamentally lies with the parents' responsibility to educate their own children for life. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do, I do see that the children are a blessing from God and it is parents discipling their own children, disciples <laughs> fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And then Christian teachers also have a responsibility to, yeah, do a good job and be faithful even in the classroom. Um, but it is, it's tricky going back to Jade's um, dilemma about teaching about two mummies or two princesses or two princes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> do you have to do a Daniel and like not bow down? I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, that's hard. I'm yeah. sorry. It's really hard. It and, is really you know, hard. It's, it's. I think it's it's hard because like, sorry, this might be a, a bit of a tangent. Like, sexuality is just one aspect of of like how our Christian lives are different from from the world, right? Mm. Um, so different. But it's not the only thing, and so. Yeah it's it's really tricky like to because are you going to make the same fuss about like um a story where there's a mum and dad but they're not married like or did you know what i mean like yeah true it's it's so difficult and and for the two mum to the two princesses or the two princes like in this they're not christians like so they don't have the same standards that we do so you, it's so hard to know what to say yeah but jade you've obviously got the answer right <laughs> but fundamentally right jade you need to remember that a lot of these kids are probably being exposed in in their non-christian households right yeah especially with you know all that goes on on tv in the media um yeah it's, it's really and I bad. think it's, yeah, it's really tricky as well because we're in a day and age now where it's like, um, equal, like equality, everything that you think, um, it like matters and everything. And, and, and to an extent it, it does, like whatever you think does matter. Um, but I think it's the, it's the weight of now kind of like, this is love and this is how it should be. Let it be if, if that's just how you think. And and because there's so much of that kind of, do you know what I'm, where I'm going? 
So it's it's more like you believe in what you believe. I believe in what I believe in, and we'll do yeah. it there. Yeah, it's 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 very fuzzy actually. Like mm. in terms of because you have to be PC, you have to be respectful. But yeah, it is really tricky. <laughs> this world we live in. But I do think, as as Christians, it we do need to keep. Um, reaching out and evangelizing and just asking the Holy Spirit for sensitivity and knowing what, how to do it effectively without, it's, it's a hard topic. These are hard topics and these are topics that the world will ask. Um, yeah, Anzi, it's really, really tricky, but um, ultimately, you know, we are Christians just living in a broken world right now. And so, you know, as it's part of our reality, we've just really got to, you know, like pray for wisdom to know how to just discern and how know how to just really go about these things. And, you know, sometimes maybe we won't ever get it right, but as long as our heart is right, you know, and as long as, you know, I, our, our first, first and foremost thing is actually you, we want to honor God, then hopefully we can, as, you know, as a team together, we can just really navigate through as best as we can. Well said, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so this concludes the first part of this episode. We'll be back next week for part two with our two guests, uh, Kai and Jade. So stay tuned for next week. 